43 and a half duck stacks, tempering timely. In a clockwork forge, each strike on the anvil winds the walls. Every duck stack you read slots a wall into your castle, a veritable fortress of duck stacks, striking fear into the hearts of your foes, an inspiration in the heart of your lover. Today's art is by an AI. We recently had an experience where we threw the duck stack into a vat of radioactive toxic waste, and it gained audio superpowers. Indeed, you weren't just hallucinating. That email in your inbox really was the original, brave, firstborn duck stack of the wilderness, right after it had opened its eyes, but before it had learned to walk on its unsteady, stubby legs. But this time, with narration, just like this one. All previous duck stacks will get this treatment, just like this one. And soon, you'll be able to check out any episode with a headphones icon anytime you're in a situation where you can listen but not read, such as when you're blindfolded and being held against your will in a pitch-dark cave underground. You can tell yourself in that situation, at least I still have the duck stack, and the duck stack will assail you with sweet, melodious narration about whatever we are on about at that time, comforting you in your blind but not deaf state in the dungeon of your enemies, as we always have. Additionally, at no extra charge to you, and for a small fee, we can toss you into a radioactive vat as well. We kind of have a surplus of these things lying around now. Section. Peer Review. Earning the right to review your peers. Sportsmanship is kind of dead. Replaced by the stereotypical boomer millennial participation trophy at about the dividing line when society stopped being willing to grapple with reality in general. It's a lot easier to celebrate similarities than it is to celebrate differences. Grace and victory, grace and defeat, goes the saying. Maybe some sports still have you shake hands afterward, but it's far more common to see football players throw tantrums, or at least I certainly hear about that scenario a lot more often. Win or lose, it's important to have fun, but what about ensuring the other team has fun? Who's teaching this doctrine? The spirit of contention, something Christ warns about in the Book of Mormon, is a frenzy. It keeps you from loving your neighbor. Since you're not the judge of hearts, this spirit of contention is extremely difficult to recognize in other people. And the difficulty is doubled due to the teenager, I mean human, tendency to think chastisement means hatred. But certainly you know in your heart whether you're really seeking what's best for other people or whether you just want power over them. Here's a true story. Your dog has been sick lately. You complain to me that the extra care necessary is slightly inconvenient and mildly frustrating. I, being a galactic genius at problem solving, tell you to kill your dog. In awe of my creativity and floored by my intellect, you're then compelled to admit that my solution is more effective than any previous solution anyone has offered you up to this point. Not only does this completely solve the problem of your dog's sickness, it also frees up all kinds of financial and emotional resources to devote to me, your new alpha by merit. Suppose things change later, suppose your dog turns out to be not just sick, but actively and untreatably dying. Won't you feel silly for not having listened to me? Won't you feel ashamed thinking of all that suffering you could have spared your dog? I was right about what you needed to do all along, after all. By accident. What's going on here is wrongness on a scale not even on the same axis as logic. The smug advisor could make all sorts of accommodations for you. Oh, you don't want to kill your dog because you don't want him to suffer? Just drug him first! taking as many of your objections into account as he wants, and he will always be so colossally wrong that any time he is right, it is only right by accident. The reason is, the dude doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your interests, or what you want, or your dreams, or your reasons. His primary concern is offering an extremely selfish solution. 
I footnoted to Judas, but the same effect happens literally all the time, in less obvious ways, but no less nuclear of solutions, from Desnet to NRX to Bapsphere to every church and political group, every caravan has armchair critics. Even when these criticisms are correct, they're invalid. The lacking ingredient is friendship. You could perhaps call this alliance. Formally, it's not only to agree with a group's mission, goals, or identity, but also to agree with its submissions, sub-goals, and sub-identities. Is this what Christian charity is? Let's ask Paul. 1 Corinthians 9. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but unto the law of Christ, that I might gain them that were without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might be gained the weak. I am all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. To see as someone sees, goals and all. An enemy cannot make converts. Only a friend can do that. God is love. Section. History. Top 10 things the little one said to me this week. Unranked. 1. I want boomers, he said, meaning guns. Then he boomed my wife over and over again, and then, humiliatingly, made her reload the same Nerf gun he would use to shoot her with, until she found he liked shooting dinosaurs just as much. 2. The little one noticed my wife had a bandage on her head, a minor injury, and leapt to come for her. You have an ouchie on your forehead? Yes, I do. You're okay, then he pointed to it. You're bleeding? A little bit. And then he said, that's sad. Three. He spent some time coloring with my wife this week and was reported to keep asking, does my drawing look amazing? Four. I'm starting to try and teach him how to find his way back to me if he gets lost somehow. I figure a good place to be start would be telling people his name. So I asked him, if someone asks you your name, what do you say? Beep, beep, beep. We'll work on it. Five. He understandably does not like shots. He was asking if Mama was going to poke him and we were both like, what? No. And he was like, I see Mama has a poker, which she did. She had a syringe, which she was going to apply some vitamins with perceptive kid. 7. Every time I play with the little one, I end up covered in stickers. 8. The little one throwing out a blanket across the room. Whoopsie! Section. Time is running out by Muse. Son, it's time. We had a little chat. Before. But we need to have a big chat now. When people say the clock is ticking, they mean the clock has turned feral and reverted to its parasitic nature, sucking the time right out of you. They are warning you that it is time to destroy your watch. If you do not, you will probably feel okay for a while, years even, without experiencing symptoms. This is due to a special numbing chemical clocks use, similar to mosquitoes. However, if untreated, eventually you will feel the effects of time. If you want to keep time domesticated and not leeching off your precious hours, try these phrases instead. 1. Time's a-cookin'. 2. Time's a-wastin'. 3. The clock is clicking. 4. The clock is talking. 5. The clock is running out. 6. Clocks never heard of them. 7. I'll clock your socks off. Some of these phrases may not be appropriate for all ages and situations. Some adaptability is required. We do not recommend such phrases as time flies, as this will not prevent biting, only time parasitism. Use only in a pinch or an emergency. 
Now maybe you're still a little unclear on how to decide what phrase to use, so at this point it would be fruitful to give you some clarifying background into clock anatomy, which should be illuminating. There's two main species of clocks with rare mutated exceptions, analog and digital. There's also a sundial, which is extinct. The main difference, and it takes a pretty sharp eye to see this, is that analog clocks have hands, whereas digital clocks only have numbers. Strictly speaking, the numbers on the analog clock are vestigial, whereas any hands found on a digital clock should be interpreted as dramatically raising the clock's threat level. We will discuss analog clocks first. An analog clock looks something like this. For those listening along, just imagine. You can note the circular nature of its design, and the three hands, a long hand, a short hand, and the rare red hand. For most modern clocks, this hand is invisible so as to avoid being caught red-handed. Write that down. Analog clocks are found in nature, generally on walls and buildings and cities and houses. Their hunting strategy is to wait for a passing animal, which the clock will then siphon time off of to sustain itself, from the relative safety of its perch. Having no natural camouflage, these clocks rely mostly on stealth and staying above prey's line of sight. Every time you feel a need to look at a clock, the clock is feeding on you, and it only stops when it realizes it has been spotted. A slightly more benign variety, digital clocks have no hands and look something like this. For those of you listening along, just imagine. Having fewer hands, digital clocks are far less mobile than their analog counterparts, but have adapted to this by overcoming their parasitic nature and developing symbiotic relationships with many humans. By convincing the human to carry it around and occasionally provide time for it to feed upon, the digital clock in exchange wards off other, more deadly time predators, keeping its human's temporal footprint low. Digital clocks are normally worn on the wrist, near the pulse where a human's time stream is most accessible but have also evolved to be smaller, requiring far less sustenance, re reducing the inconvenience they place upon their host. Many digital clocks have uploaded themselves to the internet, where they reside in people's phones. This move allows the clock to hibernate and conserve much more energy at the cost of being less close to the wrist slash pulse sweet spot. The shift from watches to phones was mostly impelled by human convenience. Most clocks still prefer to be watches. Now that you know some more about clocks, we hope you'll feel better equipped to care for any clocks that you may be keeping as pets. If you have any further questions about clock care, do not hesitate to reach out. While popular, clocks are currently classified as an invasive species to modernity, so you must be very careful about any clocks you are keeping as pets, staying contained and within proper bounds. The end of the duck stack. Thanks for listening.